Can I tell you really? Please. The, the most impactful conscious decision I made was marrying my wife. It's the, the kind of seminal key decision that I got right. Okay, if I screwed everything up in my life, I got that one Tell right. Tell me more about this. Welcome to What I Did Next, a new podcast series from ANT Media. I'm Malak Fuad, your host. On the show, we'll be talking to inspirational guests about those moments in life when you are faced with a crossroads and have to decide which way to go. Do you choose the well-worn shore route or do you jump off the deep end and hope it will all work out? Our guests have all confronted this dilemma and we discuss how this happens and how it changed the trajectory of their lives. Our guest today is Ahmed Elfi, a well-known name in the tech startup world in both Egypt and the Middle East. Beginning his career in the US on Wall Street, Ahmed moved to Egypt in 2006 as CEO of EFG Hermes Private Equity. From there, Ahmed went on to co-found Sawari Ventures, a leading venture capital firm based in Cairo. And he is also the co-founder of Flat Six Labs, an early stage fund in the MENA region. His most visible role, however, is perhaps as chairman of the Greek campus, a startup innovation hub in downtown Cairo. Additionally, Ahmed founded Nifham, an Arabic online video educational platform. I've known Ahmed and his family for a number of years, but because of what I did next, I got to understand a bit better what makes him tick, what he's inspired by, and what he aims for in life. When we started talking about those pivotal moments, Ahmed singled out meeting his wife Manel as the most consequential thing in his life, the number one thing he got 100% right. When we did this Greek campus project, everybody, every single person I know told me you're crazy and you shouldn't do it, except my wife. She's the only person that said, that's a great idea, go for it. And she helped me. And she worked with me night and day for the first you know, year, helping turn this place around. And so uh, having somebody who you can trust blindly that their judgment is only for your best interest and there's sec no secondary agenda in the advice, is a fantastic blessing in making all your life decisions. And what was it about this particular project that made her see that it was, that there was something special about it? Uh, you know, I should ask her specifically that. I don't know, but I will, I will speak on her behalf that I think she saw the same thing I did, which is a fantastic place in an environment that you can potentially control because it's an enclosed place. And kind of we, we had done something similar with our kids in trying to make an environment where they and their friends can be that this could be a place where people can be creative and happy. We have three rules here. No politics, no religion, no jerks, right? And the no jerks one is the simplest one because no jerks mostly applies to guys and it makes everybody feel safe, specifically the girls. So the, the place is just wonderful. Everybody, hopefully, everybody's happy and enjoying themselves and then you're able to be creative because if you're stressed out, it's hard to be creative. Yeah, and it's a safe environment for everyone to, to be in. Exactly. At what point would you say your formative years were? Was it the Middle East portion before high school? Did that have a big impact on you? Or was it when you, when you got to California as a high schooler? I, I would think my formative years continue till today <laughs> because I continue to learn. That's amazing. And I continue to kind of expand my mind and personality and my soul, hopefully. And so, it's a continuous formation and I wouldn't, there's no, you know, there's no red line where it ended. So, um, at some paces it's faster than others. 
but it's always continual formation. Uh, the highlights was uh, understanding microeconomics and statistics. I would say that's the two highlights of my whole college career is those two courses because microeconomics explains to human behavior and statistics allowed me to calculate lots of things and figure out, help me in my decision matrix instead of spontaneous uh, to be more cool and calculating in understanding uh, you know, what the risk profile of different decisions is. And those two courses uh, can see you through any career and anything you're doing in the future anyway. Do you still think back to them and, and remember what you've learned from them quite clearly? Last year, I sent both the professors a thank you note. It was 40, 39 years, 40 years after I graduated, those specifically those two, and they, they actually, I was able to find both their emails. And what triggered that last year? What happened last year to make you do that? I, I, don't, I don't recall, but I, and I do that quite often. Probably every couple of years, I think of somebody who helped me in my life, and I call them and say thank you, and it maybe makes me more grateful for the assistance they gave me in my career that was totally unnecessary. They stepped out of their way to make an effort to help me. The guy who gave me my first job after college, the guy who gave me my first job in a gas station at age 16, uh, these professors, so I, I do that quite often and it's more rewarding for me, but it's also very rewarding for them. So if anybody's listening, if you do that, it's a wonderful thing. It'll make you a better person and you will please somebody very, very much. I think it's really, uh, really interesting that you do that because I think remembering when someone helped you along the way is is a is a, an extremely important way to uh to appreciate what you have right now people forget to do that they're just in such a rush but i have a feeling that the corona times that we're in now because everyone has slowed down so much it's allowed people to reassess where they were what they were going to do whether they did it are they in the right place are they going in the right direction and i think exactly what you've just said, this appreciation of people that have helped you. Um, a lot of people that I'm talking to these days are going down that path. I, I would add that it actually, it's a bit humbling because you realize it's not all you. You didn't do this by yourself. And there's a bit of an obligation that, you know, you should step out of your, out of your comfort zone a bit and help other people. And Maybe, maybe you'll be blessed enough for somebody to call you and say thank you in the future. And if you're not, it's okay because that's not what you did it for anyway. From having been based in the States for such a long time, you moved to uh, Egypt to work with EFG. That's a very big, big difference and a big dif change of lifestyle and a big change of, uh, a big, just a big change. What was your thinking in that? The thinking was, it's a great opportunity. The country is changing. We were in a stage of our life where all our kids were off in college. It was really the, if we were ever going to go somewhere and live somewhere else. And Manal had lived here for many years. It was a, just a perfect fit. And the position of the EFG included a running a portfolio that had lots of companies in it and a full built infrastructure of staff that were really, really wonderful people when I met them. And it was just a great way to come in and learn the country and learn how the country, uh, how the different businesses in the country worked. I ended up staying for a shorter time than I wanted, 
but it was a great learning experience and I worked with some really great people and some of the people I worked with then I still work with now. So would you consider the 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 fork in the road if you like would be when you left EFG and you began to think more about the 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 digital space in the Middle East um when you thought of the Greek campus as being a potential startup hub uh Sowari also is more uh Can I tell you really? Please. The, the most impactful conscious decision I made was marrying my wife. It's the the kind of seminal key decision that I got right. Okay, if I screwed everything up in my life, I got that one Tell right. Tell me more about this. She's a, just an amazing person and um that's that's the one I got right. Okay, and then after that, uh leaving working for an investment company and going out on my own in 1990. That was in coming, in the states. In the states yeah. and then coming to Egypt in 2006. I would say kind of those are the three key forks in the road that were major decisions in my life and what did Conscious. you what did you learn from each of those changes in every single one of them every single one of them follow your heart follow your heart in every one of them and so you went with instinct not with your head in each of those no, decisions your, your your head has to not find a massive veto clearly okay yeah so your head tells you this is a bland mind even if you follow your heart but following your heart once you've filtered out the explosions and the and the potential big problems sure. is the right thing is the right thing to do yeah. and that's what you did each time for example when i left working for a large firm in a wall street company in 1990 it was because i had learned nothing new in the previous two years okay and i was no longer growing that was that was the point the trigger so uh what what i learned that's that's useful in the next phase is everything right every single thing you learn um uh, i worked for somebody who was somebody who pounded the table and yelled at you and screamed to motivate everybody and he was fantastic he was like my second father right and i got rest his soul i love him to death but one of the great lessons it took me a long time to learn is the way i learned isn't the best way to teach okay and i used to be really tough on if i had an assistant i was really tough on him and because that's how i learned sure, so i want sure. him to be and i want him to to be tough and i want him to be good and i want him to be strong and I realized that I'm not really getting good results cuz you have to customize how you teach people. I I see some of these kids that you know the guy teaches them memorize the Quran and you know if you don't know how to hit you with a stick cuz that's how my teacher taught me but that's not necessarily not the right system. Absolutely. A clear theme running through Ahmed's life is his love of learning. He believes strongly that learning is a lifelong endeavor, realizing that how you learn is not how you teach. and he wanted to explore how the next generation could benefit from proper mentorship and customized teaching this was the foundation of nifham in 2012 a free online k through 12 educational platform that is linked to the mandated public curriculum nifham covers the egyptian saudi and syrian curriculums and it has provided over 100 million free lessons to 5 million students which is a remarkable achievement It was a conversation with a friend and we were talking about the population explosion and how the country was going to have to build more schools and cram more kids into schools and um I had read about Khan Academy in the US and I thought okay let's call Khan Academy and take them and translate all their videos and all the writing was in English everything you know when they did something on the board so we decided just to recreate it and we started recreating it and then we said why don't we distribute it and created we created the concept of crowd teaching so we have videos submitted by parents by teachers by 10-year-olds and then we set up a review panel like wikipedia to review them for accuracy 
and then we would just upload them. So in a lot of the lessons, <clears throat> you have three, four videos. And we said the easiest way to disseminate mass information is to teach the kids what the government mandates they should be taught. I don't want to teach them what I think is important. I'm going to teach them what the government says is important because I just want to lift them in society in the structure that currently exists. If I set the curriculum, it would be completely different. I would teach very different things, but I might upset somebody else. So we just said, we're going to do that. When the Muslim Brotherhood came, they changed 20% of the curriculum. We had to change the site. When they left, they changed it back. We had to change 20% of the site. So it was, it's been an interesting experience. Uh, the company has started experimenting a bit with uh, live one-on-one -on -one tutoring because sometimes the video explanation is not sufficient and the students want more information. And have you found it more, more popular now in lockdown when people are at home a lot and unable to necessarily have face-to-face -face lessons as much? I think there's a higher level of apathy by school kids about what they learn, okay? Uh, and I think it's kind of flattish. Everybody's on a lull because of Corona, right? The parents aren't pushing their kids to study. Nobody's pushing anybody to really do anything. Uh, people working from home are getting some of the things done that they need. There was a big surge at the beginning. I think it's really waned. I think working from home has gone way down in value in the eyes of every employer who thought it was great in the first four or five months of lockdown. Yeah, fatigue has set in with everyone, Completely, I think. completely. And only very few people have the self-discipline to really do this. My old boss on Wall Street used to say, you have to have the talent to get up and kick yourself to motivate yourself and kickstart yourself every day. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that, you're going to be dependent on somebody to do it for you and you're going to fail. I'd like to jump in at this point to bring in a question I'll be asking my guests during each show. I'm always fascinated to hear who people would include in a hypothetical dinner party. Who would make the ideal guests around a dining table? These pretend guests can be living or dead, they can be celebrities or friends and family that are no longer around, or simply people whose company you just love. I like asking this question as it never fails to bring together the most eclectic group of people and offers great peeks into people's true personalities. When I asked Ahmed this question, he started with family. I would like to, first person immediately would be my dad because I like the opportunity to speak to him once again. Okay, God rest his soul. Um, I think I would invite Manal because she brings a wonderful spiritual aspect to every conversation, every dinner conversation. She she puts a amazing spin on it. She's a wonderful cook as well. I think maybe I've always admired uh, very eccentric people. Um, I, I think maybe some of them might be very bad dinner guests, but I would really like to hear firsthand uh, the story of, of one of the great painters, uh, Monet, Van Gogh, maybe Monet because he built his house with, you know, in the countryside to make great scenery so that he could actually paint the great scenery. He controlled his whole environment very well. That's a fabulous house. Yeah. yeah. Somebody living today, uh, I think maybe Jimmy Carter. Very inspirational character. And I have a lot of a lot of respect for Bill Gates, who has made an amazing transformation as a human being, from being a capitalist shark 
to being somebody who cares about and using redirecting those same skills and energy into solving big human problems. Mm -hmm. So I think that's my six. Tell me a little bit more about um, the startup environment that you're involved in, because I know that you almost single-handedly created it in a sense, or you're the you're more of the image of of what that is in Egypt right now. I know that it's uh, an amazing way to sort of uh, leapfrog into another uh, type of economy um, from where we were before in Egypt, a very sort of um, you know industrialized, heavy uh, industrialized economy and you know, bringing in this whole um, youth that are just leapfrogging into another dimension. And it's a very visible uh, part of what you're doing. So I, I would just make maybe a minor modification. I'm one of the faces of it. I'm not responsible for it. I contribute and it, hundreds and thousands of people are a part of this wonderful ecosystem that's built on the energy and the ambition of young people. Okay, and their intelligence. And I think what I was able to contribute was years of experience and a lot of things not to do. Okay, and that's what I've added most to the ecosystem is kind of the, the list of mistakes that can be avoided. Young people here just want a chance. They want an opportunity to define their future and to be able to somehow control their destiny. And you felt that it's made a big difference here. I mean, I know that there was this Rise Up Summit for a few years physically on, on the campus, and it just seemed to create such an amazing uh, sense of, um, of hope and excitement. And you just, I mean, I got the feeling that there was just so much energy here. Uh, Rise Up was a nice kind of year-end party for the entrepreneurship ecosystem that uh, lives and breathes on a daily basis here and lots of other places in Egypt. And it's really, it really, really is a testament to uh, the young people that in spite of all the adverse conditions, they really kept pushing forward and kept becoming uh, creative, kept thinking of new ideas and trying to build new companies. Lately, in the last three, four years, the government has been more supportive in fixing the regulations and in adding funding to help some of these programs. And it's really... The government and the society finally believes that this is a viable component of the go-forward economy of the future of this country. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think just it's, it's wonderful everything's coming into play, into focus together to hopefully contribute to a very positive future. And how do you uh, marry Sawari Ventures with your other interests? Or are they, or are they all very different? I think they're all complementary. So... Our vision is really to kind of build the full stack with the uh, facilities and places like the Greek campus here and we have other locations in Cairo and in Egypt. And then uh, the Flat 6 for the young companies. Flat 6 has a program even for training before that called Start Egypt that's a subsidiary of Flat 6 that trains people so that they can apply to Flat 6 or pursue projects that Flat 6 wouldn't accept but in an entrepreneurial manner for social entrepreneurs and so on, and then the growth stage funding for Sawadi. And then after that, if the companies get beyond that, the traditional ecosystem really takes care of them and, and the banks and the big private equity funds are all willing to invest after that stage. So the idea was we're trying to fill in the gap in the ecosystem to make it a true ecosystem. And the, the word ecosystem, people don't talk about it, but it's a self-sustaining cycle. That's an ecosystem. 
And so there were a couple of missing spots in the self-sustaining cycle in Egypt, and that's what we tried to fill in and what other people are trying to fill in as well. Tell me a little bit about your family, uh, Ahmed. Um, I've been lucky enough to, to know your family over the years, um, and I've always been very impressed by um, how you and uh, your lovely wife, Manal, have raised your children in the sense of the, the, um, the principles you've instilled in them. We wanted our children to understand how blessed we and they are. And that's something that um, we made a point of when we traveled. So when we traveled to different countries, we would not only visit the tourist sites. We would visit different projects, orphanages, things like that, and help and support in any way that we could. Knowing that you're blessed and being conscious of the blessings you have I think is one of the greatest gifts that, you know, we can have and that we can convey to our children. And I'll maybe veer off a second and tell you kind of a, a bit of a spiritual two-second discussion, uh, finance in religion, okay? Uh, when, the, when somebody, the, the word in Arabic for somebody died says tawaffa. What does tawaffa mean? It means repay the debt. Wafa din Tawaffa din means he repaid the debt with himself or his soul. So your soul is alone. The asset owner is going to call the debt early or late. You don't know, but it's going to be paid back. And uh, it says in the Quran, in We belong to God and to God we shall return. That's in almost every single faith. right? And so your soul is alone and you're judged on whether you give it back to the owner in better or worse shape than you got it. And the other thing is whether you used it to make his other assets better or not. And that's it. And that was, that's really the simple message we tried to convey to the kids. And how in your work have you, how have you derived strength from family to uh, begin new projects, to uh, spur yourself on in certain areas? Uh, having a supportive family is the best empowerment to take risk. But even better than that, having somebody who you can trust blindly that their judgment is only for your best interest and there's sec no secondary agenda in the advice is a fantastic blessing in making all your life decisions. Another feature of the show is asking my guests what their favorite book, favorite movie, and favorite piece of music are. These choices always offer a good insight into people's tastes. They often trigger a long forgotten story and a trip down memory lane, and they allow us once again to understand that person just a little bit more deeply. Favorite film? That's a very difficult question. It's a I hard have, one. I have I have a lot of very favorite films. Give me the give me the first two or three then. Two very different book uh, movies. Yeah. Avatar and The Godfather. Oh wow! Extremes. Two extremes. Very extreme. different extremes. And why do you, why do you like why I mean I can guess why you like Avatar. I'm guessing it's because it's so technically advanced. What are your is that is that why you like no, it? No, I like it because it is one of the ultimate spiritual aspects. If you look at behind the scenes, they're talking about the spirituality and connectivity of everything. That's interesting. It's, yeah, it's, and it's, the a, very, it's a very spiritual yeah, movie in the yeah. background. I've never seen it, actually. Oh, I, I'm going to watch it now. I, I've seen it and the Godfather. Ten, both of them I've seen over yeah, 10 times. The Godfather is one of my favorites. The, so the I, Godfather is just a great movie. It was, it was uh, maybe it's just more of a memory because the things that it promotes are a code of ethics that aren't really that great, 
but it's just such a well done movie for the time. It's one of the greatest films of all time, technically, and how it was done. I agree. And I think the sequels are also very good. Yeah, They're yeah. excellent. What about, are you a reader? What kind of books do you like to read? Uh, I like a lot of science fiction books. I read sci-fi. Sci-fi books helped shape my world outlook over the, the years as I grew up. In what way? In um, Sci-fi books are not fantasy books. They're about the future of humanity. So it allowed me, I think, to be better at evaluating products and services that will integrate with people looking forward. So it allowed me, or tr maybe trained me, to look forward in the future always, okay? And to always be forward-looking. Could it also have been that it allowed your imagination to not be uh, limited? Definitely, but people can imagine, you know, people can fantasize and imagine about the Mamluks and the medieval days and the pharaohs and the past. That never interested me. Right. It always interested me. What was it going to look like in 10 years and 50 years and 100 years? Right. If I truly had a wish, I would like to, if I had X days left to live, I'd like one a year for as many years as I could go forward mm. to take a look at what the world looks like yeah. in five years, 100 yeah. years, yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. And what about music? Because sometimes for a lot of people, music is like part of their memory. There's a, you know, there's a period of their life where a certain songs or a type of music resonates or defines an era for them uh, lots and lots of those songs but there are certain songs that when you hear them you kind of you know you take a deep breath or you go like this or you know like what give me an uh, example beethoven's night just i mean i can't help but take a deep breath as i'm listening to it yeah. because it's just so magnificent yeah, yeah. really it's a magnificent piece especially when it's played well Having known Ahmed for quite a while, I enjoyed getting to know this side of him. The one in between the personal and the professional. He's as genuine as they come and continues to contribute back to future generations in a way many people aspire to. Perhaps it's unsurprising that he admires the rise of Bill Gates a philanthropist over Bill Gates a software entrepreneur. I think this says a lot about Ahmed's priorities in life and what he considers important. You've been listening to What I Did Next from ANT Media. I'm Malak Fuad, and this episode was co-produced by Shirag Desai. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show to get automatic downloads and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or IMDb as it helps more people discover the show. And remember to tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Instagram. Just search for What I Did Next. We hope to see you again in two weeks.